Good morning, everybody. Today we've got uh, none other than Paul Gardner here with us on the interview series. And Paul has a background in advertising and marketing, uh, running grey advertising worldwide. And uh, I'd like to introduce Paul Gardner. And Paul, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and, and some of the things that you've been involved in. It's great to have you join us today. Thanks, Derek. It's nice to be here. Um, I guess, in, you know, without starting too far back in the prehistoric ages, I guess the, the most important thing for me from a career point of view was advertising. Uh, I've been advertising over 30 years uh, and most notably, I guess, from 1992 to 2011, I was at Grey, uh, which became, I think, Grey, Go Grey Global Group or I had a bit of a million names. That's a business that was uh, based in New York and uh, was eventually taken over by a very famous advertising person called Sir Martin Sorrell of WPP. He took over in 2004. So I joined in 92 um, as a shareholder and a, star a startup founder. And I sold my shares in 99 and uh, stayed on as chairman of uh, Grey Asia Pacific, uh, Grey Australia New Zealand and deputy chairman of Asia Pacific for how many years that was? 12 years or 13 years. About 2011, 2012, I had a bit of a sea change and thought, it's, I guess it's a bit like waking up in the morning and saying to your wife, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And she says, funny, you should say that. We have one of those conversations. <laughs> I don't want to be married. I don't want to be married to Gray anymore. They didn't want to be married to me. So um, I left, started my own business consultancy and uh, created a variety of areas. I've looked at um, manufacturing and mining and uh, alcohol, just, uh, selling alcohol in New York and um, uh, running a number of other companies. Started a company called Dig and Fish, which I eventually sold out to another American company. I own Melbourne's oldest pub. So I guess my youngest daughter describes it when they say, what does your dad do? I don't know, but he has one of everything. So okay. I, I, tried to collect one, I tried to collect one of everything and I, I guess I've successfully done that. But um, now it's just a different stage of my career where I enjoy a lot of mentoring, a lot of workshops and a lot of working with people like the people listening today and, and just teaching a bit about what I know about marketing advertising. I guess in summary, it's a, a new look through old eyes. Yeah. So would, would it be fair to describe you as being very entrepreneurial? I'd like to think so, although I guess if you've worked for one company for 20 years, you could, you could mount the case that I'm not entrepreneurial enough. But I think since then, I've certainly started a lot of businesses and projects. I currently have probably three or four complete startups, uh, a couple of disruptors on the go at the moment uh, as an investor and also as a mentor and uh, looking for investments, um, looking for markets, uh, looking to fight against the big guys. One's a laundry product and... Uh, if you're going to start a laundry product with a couple of guys in Melbourne, you certainly want to make sure it's right because you're about to tackle Unilevers and Procter and & Gamble's and, that, and they don't play fair. They're big. They're big yep. and they're hard to beat. And they've got deep pockets. They've got very, they've got very deep pockets. I've got very deep pockets too. I don't have any money in them. That's the problem. So yep. yeah, it's, it's about the same. So when it comes to um, launching a new business or new, launching or promoting a product or service, what would be some of the things that you would suggest to people that they do if, if they're looking at launching a new idea, so to speak? I guess over the journey, I've seen a lot of people um, describe what they believe to the path the purchase is. You know, and I think it's become very complicated and convoluted over the past probably seven or eight years since we've had digital and uh, webs and social media and so on. But for me, I think it's still quite a simple process. I think there are essentially four steps and they're absolutely linear. So you can't do one without doing the other beforehand. The first step is awareness. Mm -hmm. um, what is it? What do you do? Uh, how does it work? How much does it cost? Where do I get the basics information? Yeah. The second one is consideration. 
oh, I might do this. I, I might think about that. That looks quite interesting. I might try that. Uh, the third one is conversion. Actually, I'm going to go and get that right now. And the fourth one is evaluation. And if you get the evaluation right, wow, that's better than I thought, or that's as good as I thought. That then flips back and adds the awareness and the path continues. So uh, for me, simplistically, and it is a simple thing. It's very much a Procter & Gamble model. But as I said, awareness, consideration, conversion, evaluation. And I've seen nothing to suggest that anything has changed that over the journey. Yep, yep, okay. And what about branding? Is, is there anything that people should particularly apply when it comes to branding or particularly look at some, some ideas there? I, I have a couple of branding businesses that I work really closely with. And I always say the same thing to them that I, I'd advise um, your viewers or listeners. Uh, and that is... It's very hard to get your message across. It's very expensive and media is generally fragmented. You know, one of the reasons social media has become popular is because, well, I kind of know the audience I'm going for. You know, if I want housewives, they listen to this kind of podcast or they're on this kind of site. If I want guys, they're kind of watching this or in the car sales or whatever it has to be. But the, the, the thing with branding is that it may well be the only time that your product or brand reaches the consumer. So my view is that the brand and the name must have the proposition in it. Must, you must look at it and get what they're saying. And so if you have an esoteric name, doesn't mean anything, then you've wasted an opportunity. This, this is an ad. So I, I use all branding, all packaging, all servicing, all, all uh, bottoms of emails. I say, what is the name? Show me the name and, and I'll get it. So I just did one recently for a company that's a, um, a search company. And they're from uh, Europe. And the word we use was trouveur, which is French for to, to, to find. So it's subtle, but if you know it, it sort of all makes sense. And that, yep. that's rather than just call it search build or something, whatever it was to be. You know, I just, we wanted to make it subtle and classy, but still relevant. And I think that's the most important. When you're naming a product or you're branding it, make sure I get it. Don't, don't leave any subtlety on the table. Really, really say to them, this is information I need. Make it part of the awareness program. Yeah, and I think importantly, make sure that your branding is consistent across all channels of communication. So if it's on your website, if it's on your email headers and signatures, if it's on your social media, everywhere, make sure that that branding is consistent. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's got to be like, a, it's like um, it's, you meet somebody and, and they talk to you one way and the next time you meet them and they talk to you a different way. That's not the same person I met. You know, it feels insincere. So if you've got consistency, Consistency equals sincerity. And I think sincerity is the most important attribute that a brand can have today. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's vital, absolutely. And how would you describe um, the difference between advertising and marketing? Because this is also an area where some people um, have a little bit of a challenge with sometimes, I hear. Advertising is a subset of marketing. Um, right. Yeah. Let's just take a, a classic FMCG product. You know? So uh, something appears in the supermarket shelves. In order to get it on that shelf, you have to understand what does it look like? What's the packaging look like? What, what is the product? If it's baked beans, does it have Mexican flavor? Is it large size, small size? This is before you get to advertising. Now, so building that concept of what is it? Um, so I always use five key parts of marketing. What is the proposition? Why is it differentiating? Why is it relevant? Why is it sustainable? And why is it profitable? Now, none of those things really involve advertising. They're just determining the heart of the brand the essence of the brand and what it will look like when it appears to consumers. The yeah. advertising side is to reach them and say, okay, knowing the audience is over here and knowing my product looks like this, the bit in the middle, that's advertising. Okay. So when it comes to um, 
advertising or promoting a particular product, um, do you have anything, general rules that you would apply there or, or any ideas that you could give people that would help them advertise or, or promote a particular product or service? I think the biggest, the biggest secret to advertising is to understand the problem that it solves. Mm-hmm. You know, what, so you get down to that nub of, okay, the worst thing you can do is just manufacture something and then go out and try and find an audience for it. It doesn't work. If the audience is here and they've identified a need and you've created a product, then that's the problem it solves. So the first part of any good, good campaign, in my opinion, is to actually show the problem. You know, what is the problem? And the problem isn't just a rational problem. The problem may well be an emotional problem. For example, yeah. if, you're selling, if you're selling a shampoo that takes the frizz out of hair, uh, the problem might be the doorbell rings, the boyfriend's there early, the, the lady's freaking out, her hair's all... So she's got an emotional problem and a rational problem, right? The rational problem is, how do I fix my hair? The emotional problem is, oh my God, I look a mess, yeah? So show the, show the problem, then I think you show the product, then I think you show the science behind the product. What, what makes this work? And to use that hair example, there are plenty of examples of little, little strands of hair, little globules sort of sliding down. It. <laughs> so show the science. So show what's the differentiator. Then I think go back and show the product again. And then show the solution, emotional, rational. So um, girl looks fabulous, opens the door. Boyfriend says, wow, you look fabulous. Here's a bunch of roses. Kiss you on the cheek. Bang, off you go. So yep. I think that's kind of the so they say problem, product, so, uh, science, product, solution, bang, out. Where do you get it? And that would apply to service? It applies to anything. That would apply to service? Well, I know with, um, so for, for what we did for TAC, so road safety, uh, where I think we revolutionised road safety campaigns in the world, as, as it's been recognised. Um, but we actually came up with a concept that said, well, there are three equal parts to this road safety. The first one is emotion. You know, how do we get people to really buy in on an emotional EQ, what they people now call EQ, on that level? The second one was um, education. You know, so what are we asking them to do? So rather than just say something like, as, as an example, speed kills, we change that to wipe off five to show the difference that mm-hmm. just five kilometres less will make on an impact and therefore on people's lives. So emotion, education, and the third one was enforcement. In, in a particular case, like a social behaviour change, you need to show the, the alternatives. If you don't do this, something can happen to you. And, and that we, we reckon that was, an, uh, I think it's called equilateral triangle, all, all equal. And when you do that, you've got engagement. So I, I like to apply all my advertising and marketing into really, really simple, easy to understand, easy to chew bites that people get. But you know, really, they, they, they're just effective. I mean, over all the journey I've looked at and back into the 30s when, they had, when serials were you know, soap operas on the radio, I mean, they, they, these, these principles just seem to stand the test of time, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who, who are watching who don't know, <coughs> pardon me, um, Paul and, and Grey Advertising, they put together a road safety campaign um, for a company called the Transport Accident Commission. It started back in the 90s. And these were ads that had a lot of shock value where they literally showed car accidents and um, they basically made people in front of their, their TV screens sit up and take notice and importantly slow down on the roads and be a lot more careful on the roads. And um, I think the statistics were, were quite impressive as to the amount of um, reduced accidents and reduced road fatalities that actually happened over a period of time. Is that right? Yeah, I think it went from um, 1,064 deaths in Victoria 
in the late 80s to when I left in 2011, I think it was 270 deaths. So that had saved a lot of people, not just deaths, but a lot of, a lot of people heartache because yep. everybody hurts. You know, that's, that's the, it's not just you in the car accident because you're stupid, you've had too many drinks and you crashed into a tree. That's your family and your kin and your townships and the football mm. clubs. Exactly. So, you know, that, that, so for us, that was a really, we're really proud of that campaign. But the principles didn't change. It was, it was to find the simplistic principle that led to full engagement by your audience and then to match them. That, that was the trick. Yeah, yeah. And what's also interesting is, is um, when you talk about problem and solution, um, basically what Paul's just given you, everybody, is uh, how to put together a case study. Which is yeah, well, maybe I don't know. I know some, I know some people have different ways of doing. It. I know some will look at it and go, "There's all modern ways to do it." But um, as you know, Derek and your others may not know, I'm, I'm obviously actively involved in podcasts. Um, I was on the board of a social media group in Washington D.C. for a, a while, um, so I sort of understand where the modern era is going. But there's nothing really new. They're just delivery mechanisms. I think what they're yeah. doing, right? social media, in my opinion, is is not dissimilar to reality TV in that. It's about making me famous. You know, it's taking a person who never had a chance to be something and, and projecting them and portraying them as something more than they really are. And I, I think that's, there's something in that. And I think if your campaigns, whether it uses social media or not, can do that, can make the person feel good about themselves in an emotional, rational way. We described the, the lady with the frizzy hair a moment ago. If, if you can do that and, and, and have that real level of sincerity and credibility, then I think your brand's going to go you know, exponentially well. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think the amazing thing with social media now, nowadays is that it literally opens up the world to people. I mean, uh, talking about LinkedIn, um, you can connect with people all over the world from all different types of backgrounds or within your target market or your target audience. You can certainly expand that. What When you may have used to have a, a target audience that was local, now you can be international. So it's quite extraordinary. I think that's right. And I think, I think the other thing with LinkedIn, which really impresses me, I use LinkedIn a lot. The thing about LinkedIn for me is that you don't feel as though you've been disrupted by the ads. You know, whereas Twitter, I do. You know, Twitter up pops an ad for, I don't know, Amex card or whatever it happens to be. In my, car, in my case, it might be, you know, colour your hair brown or something. I don't know how <laughs> I know that. But, you know, I, I feel almost as though it's interrupting something for me. And I, and I, the first thing I do is hide the ads. But on LinkedIn, it feels like, well, it's a commercial site. You know, I'm sort of here to do business. And part of doing business is this commerciality and, Therefore, I accept it. So I think for those out there that are planning to do um, any advertising on social media, I think LinkedIn is, especially if it's B2B, and I think it's a really, really strong platform. Yep, yep, fantastic. And when it comes to marketing, what, what are some of the ideas that you would give to people when it comes to actually marketing themselves, their brand, their products or their services? I think, as I said before, you know, what's, understand the proposition. You know, what, what actually is saying? You know, yep. what, what do I what do you want people to hear about yourself or about what happens to be? And I think all too often, if you look at um, the number of CVs that go across people's desks, and I know mine, for instance, they all start with the same thing. They start with the ingredients list. They start with, I did a Bachelor of Science here, or a Bachelor of Honours there, an MBA here, or a Graduate Business School there. That's the sort of stuff you put on the back of the can. That's like contains sugar or no added salt or be, you know, contains traces of nuts or whatever it happens to be. Yep. I just want to get the, the nub of it. What, what actually are you telling me about you? How do you feel? And how are you portraying that feeling to me? So I don't look at, if you go, if you just give me a list of school, I assume you went to school, okay? I assume you passed. I can check that later if I want to. Um, I assume you've worked. I assume you have parents. 
You know, they're, they're kind of basic things. What I don't understand is what makes you think that this is right for me and, and that every brand needs to, to tell me about this brand. Let me feel this brand. Size turtle. Um, let, me feel, let me feel the brand and let me get a sense for what, what it is you're asking me to do. So that's the proposition. Really work hard on that proposition. And then why is it differentiating? Is there a market for it? I mean, if you've got the world's best steam engine, guess what? It ain't going anywhere. Yeah. You know, so yeah. just why, why is it differentiating? What, what makes it stand out? What makes it better, stronger, faster, cheaper, quicker? All those things. Why do I need you now? And there are, there are, look, there are exceptions to the rule. You know, Tamagotchis and all those sort of strange things that bob up in our often from Japan, but things that bob up that people kind of, you know, just latch onto and you didn't really see it coming. But by and large, I mean, you only have to look at the classic examples, mobile phones. I mean, the mobile phones, you look at what the happened with Motorola. You know, Motorola gets wiped out by Nokia, gets wiped out by Apple, which is probably on its way to getting wiped out by Samsung. I don't know, but it just seems to be the strange thing. You look at um, <coughs> gramophones. Gramophones wiped out by record players, wiped out by CD discs. Wiped out by iPods, wiped out by you know, streaming. I mean, this, this just happens in a, in a blink of an eye. So why are you different and, and what's the proposition? Why is it different? They're the critical bits. And then why is it sustainable? Yeah. One, one hit wonders don't, don't last, you know? So if you're going to go to all this trouble and all this money and all this research and research a lot, research a lot and do all this kind of understanding to it, make sure it's going to last. It's just not going to be, you know, something pops out and then goes again because that's not profitable. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Um, now, when it comes to sales, what would be, uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the biggest sales challenges or experiences, some of the hardest or toughest sales experiences that you've had? And no doubt um, working in the ad advertising industry, you, I, I'm assuming that you would have had uh, just one or two or maybe more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the, the hardest part of any sale is to get distribution. In my mm -hmm. opinion, that's the first part. So, especially when you live in a country like Australia, where the the supermarkets are virtually an oligopoly. I mean, two supermarkets, um, Coles and Woolworths, virtually control you know 70 percent of the market. So, if you have a supermarket product and you can't get into the supermarket, that's problem one. Yeah. Problem, big problem one. Okay, so let's say I've got a product. Um, it's got a proposition. It's got a differentiator, and I want to get in the supermarket. I go to Coles. Real life example. And I go to Coles or Woolworths and say, listen, I'd like to get this product in here. And they say, why? And we go through the whole palaver. And then they ask you a question, a really hard question. So which product do you think we should delist on our shelves to put yours on? Because we only have so much shelf space. Now, what's your, So do, are you taking the place of something? Or if it's a brand new category, or where are we going to put it? And then that's, problem, that's, that's the biggest problem. Any sales guy... How do I get this thing near the hands of the consumer so that the advertising people can get the consumer demand happening? So that's a, that's a critical piece for any salesperson. And that, that gets back to the whole proposition. What is sales? Sales is relationship. You yep. know, how do you build a, a, <clears throat> back to sincerity. How do you build a sincere relationship? How do you turn, um, you know, I, I always think it should make friends out of clients, never clients out of friends. I think that's a really important proposition. Mm -hmm. you know? So how... When I meet somebody, no, they might like me, I might be the right sort of fit, might be too old, it might be too you know, wrong gender, might be the wrong age group, or it happens to be. But if I do hit them on the mark, how do I stay in touch with them? How do I let them know that I'm, I'm there, that this is more than just a selling 
trick and then I'm gone again. Um, you know, it's a, I, I, I got a very expensive watch once and something went wrong with it. And when I bought it, of course, they were all over the place. I couldn't move. You know, they, they almost invited me home for dinner. When I took it back, so there's something wrong with it. Well, I was like a leper. <laughs> there was no money in that for them. They yeah. said, oh, really? Oh, gee, really? And it was a really, really expensive watch. And I was really annoyed. And that, that, that sales experience really burnt my mind. So, gee, how you handle a problem is often better than how you handle a, a, a compliment. Absolutely. Um, so for selling people, I'd say build relationships, be sincere, be honest about the product. You know, yeah. hey, I want to say, this, is it the best product ever lived? No, but it's pretty good, or it's the right price, or you know, and because if if the if the buyer or the client sees through it, then the customer will ultimately see through it, and mm. that's an issue. Look look at the trust that's the moment. There's no trust in governments. There's no trust in banks. There's no trust in um, religious circles. I mean, all these guys, you know, Brexit and, and the Catholic Church, and all this trust is eroding. So people want one-on-one trust. I want to look you in the eye and say. I kind of believe this guy, you know, yeah, yeah, I kind of, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. And that's, that's critical. Build that one-on-one. It's not like, oh, I'm from this multinational company. We're fantastic. We're wonderful. And you go, I don't trust big companies anymore. I don't like, yeah. I don't trust VW cars getting recalled. Every day there's another company. You know, someone, oops, sorry, it's some bits of glass got in the children's food or what happens to be. It's just eroding trust in institutions. And it's what's left is this personal one-on-one trust. And that's, that's how social media is active there because you're building the trust online with people you get to know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, many years ago, there was a world-famous golfer by the name of Arnold Palmer who I think it was back in the 70s, he, he basically said, um, if you always deliver on what you say you'll do or you can do, uh, you'll always be successful. And it's just a matter of being genuine and sincere about what it is that you offer and, and what it is that you do for people or, or how you help people. And we see that. I mean, you know, people know that. I mean, your, your listeners and viewers would know that. They, they know that, you know, if, why, why are car salesmen are so low? You know, why are real estate agents so low? Because you go, they only not the dollar. They don't care about me. Mm. care when they get the right but They just want to sell a car. They just want to sell a plug of land. So if you get there and you say, listen, I know that you think there's a car. If you, before you buy this car, this BMW or whatever it happens to be, have you, the, the one that's about comparables about a Mercedes, have you driven that? Oh, I haven't driven that. So you should go and drive that and come back and chat to us. Yeah. That, that kind of real sincerity and honesty, and is, I think it's the, at the heart of sales today to be successful. Yeah. And I think the amazing thing with LinkedIn, and this is actually one of the uh, chapters in the course, is all about building relationships with people. Um, on, on LinkedIn, we've all been pitched to it too early in the piece. And when that happens, uh, our reaction is basically just shove that person down, disconnect from them, block them, or just they've, they've blown it if they pitch too early. So I think the important thing is to build relationships with people and ideally ask them, use permission-based marketing to send them some information about what it is that you might particularly offer. And it, it's a great tool for that. And once you understand the basics of it, it's a, a magnificent introductory tool to get that conversation started and to take it to the next level. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, um, you know, programmatic has a lot of problems associated with, you know, because you looked up a particular site, you then get bombarded for the next few months with ads mm. around that topic. You know. I, I, I looked for a fridge six months ago. I have since bought a fridge. Stop sending me fridge ads. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm right for fridges. I got fridges now, okay? And we get like that. So that's annoying. But if, if it's permission-based, 
and tell me more about this. You know, look, I'm in a market for a car. Tell me more about cars. You know, yeah. Let's talk about. Should I buy an electric car? Don't know. Who will I ask? Maybe I'll put it out. Then someone will tell me. Yeah, this is a great electric car. But I. That's that's where it's going to. It's it's moving right away. It's moving right away from this wonderful everything. LinkedIn, any social media, any advertising really works. It's, I have. I want to believe I'm talking to you. Are you yeah. just talking? Hey, you, I'm talking to you because I know you and I know you're going to be interested in this. This is going to change your life. Not everyone's, but yours. And mm. that's, you get that right and no, no one will beat you. Yeah, it's all about building those relationships with people. And um, also, one of the things that I'd also like to point out is, is that you've actually done some business with some very high net worth individuals, including some billionaires. Um, what would you suggest to people about how they can approach high net worth individuals and how would they go about that if that, if that um, was in their target market or somebody that they wanted to do business with? What would I'm, you- not sure, I'm, I'm not sure how many billionaires there are in the world, but I have managed to work with a couple of them. Uh, yeah. Not with any great you know, fondness, I might add, because I think they get, there for, <laughs> they get there for a reason. They get there because they're pretty ruthless and... Um, uh, business is often a commodity to them. But I think if you have a good enough product and, and a good enough pitch, um, reaching people is not hard because you're filling a need, you know. So uh, in my case, um, when we're selling vodka, as you know, uh, we wanted to uh, reach um, a certain very wealthy individual. And we also wanted to, we wanted to sell vodka first and foremost. So the proposition wasn't how do I reach a, a rich man? The problem was how do I how do I sell vodka and then how do I reach, reach the rich man? So for us, you don't lose sight of the fact that your key task is not not to reach a your key task is to have a compelling argument for a differentiating product. That's the key task. Now you have to be prepared to say, okay, if I reach that stage, I've got it all dressed up in a nice box of red ribbon. I'm ready to ready to rock and roll with it, but it may not happen or it may happen slower than you thought, or you may not get the kind of deal you wanted, or they might want too much to share in it when you're, it's your IP, your, your life and soul. So you may have to be prepared to go ahead with it. And, and I'm working on a product right now where we thought, we thought we'd get an investor. By now we haven't. I'm about to go and see them about an hour's time and tell them the good news and have to find another $100,000 to keep going, but, um, which they're going to be thrilled to pieces about. But anyway, you know, they have to, they believe it. Do you believe in it? Yeah, absolutely believe it. No matter what happens, do you think this is going to work? Yes. Okay. Now, if we find the investor, that's a bonus. Right. That's, that's, how, that's how you have to approach it. Okay. Okay. All right. That, that's fantastic. And um, when, when it comes to actually sales and closing the sale, um, what would you suggest people would, would, would it be the, the most important strategy that they can apply or use when it comes to actually closing a deal? I think it depends on the deal. I think it depends on the product and depends on the person you're talking to. So the closing may well be um, uh, a price offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closing may well, may well be a, uh, you know, an extended offer. So I'll give you the same thing for two years. You sign now, what happens to it? So there's no real one technique because once... I, my view is, if you've been hearing what I'm saying, I'm sure it has, is if you start applying cookie-cutter techniques, it doesn't feel sincere. Okay. You know, I, so let me turn it the other way. I never close a sale full stop. I always leave it open. So that means that even if people reject me, I still go back to them all the time. 
Uh, I use a process which I call since we last met. So if you say, I'm not interested, I figure out, are you not interested because you don't like me? Okay, I'll send someone else in. You're not interested because it was wrong at the time for you or the product wasn't developed enough? Okay, I'll show you how to refine that. Or you didn't have the money? Okay, I'll show you what, what a terms of payment can now look like. So whatever, that, that's more important. So closing the deal is a person likes it, they've accepted it, and it's just a matter of shutting the deal, you know? Okay, what, what inking, what is it, dot in, dot in the eyes and crossing the T's. But leaving an, an unfulfilled sale open on a regular basis and maintaining a relationship, that's the trick. That's the yeah. real trick. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right, Paul, well, you've given us some, some fantastic advice there, some, some great gems that people can actually take away. And I'm sure when they watch back over this uh, interview, they'll, they'll get some great ideas of, of what they can apply to their own businesses and, and marketing and promoting their own products and services. So thank you so much for joining us today and giving us your input. It's much appreciated. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, everyone.